Hey everyone, Jace here. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to tell you about a campaign for an awesome creator-owned book that's going on right now over at Zoop. Axewilder John is the story of a savage journey into the heart of a man driven mad by love, by hate, by power. As he is hounded by hordes of relentless enemies who will stop at nothing to reclaim what John has stolen. This is a real passion project for writer-artist Nick Patera, as he's drawing inspiration from creators he loves, such as Frank Quietly, Jeff Darrow, and Mobius, among others. The book is also a deeply personal tale for Nick. He conceived a lot of the character and stories while his family was dealing with health challenges for his youngest daughter. Just like real life, the story is much more complicated than it might seem at first glance, and the axe-wielding barbarian at the heart of the story may be much, much more relatable than your average bloodthirsty warrior. The project's already fully funded, so go join the campaign, and you're guaranteed to get this full-color, oversized, hardcover edition. Just visit zoop.gg to check it out. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. And this is your new Comics Wednesday for June 1st, 2022. That's right. We're already in June, the six months of the year. I cannot believe this year is, ah, man, so many things I wanted to do that I haven't. Specifically, the one thing I, I keep beating myself up about is I say every year, as I read my comics every week, I'm going to, you know, do, I'm going to make a lit, reading list like I usually do. These are the comics I read this week, but this time I'm going to, if it's something I'm going to consider for best of 2022, I'm going to put a note next to it on my list. So I'll remember instead of at the end in January, I'm trying to go back through thousands of comics that I read and remember and be like, oh, did this have a moment that I should think about for like best moment of the year? And again, we're halfway through the year, almost halfway through the year, and I haven't done it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. One of these years, <laughs> one of these years. So uh, anyway, it's kind of interesting this week, falling on the, the first, uh, you know, Wednesday being on the first, and we just had Memorial Day a couple of days ago. I don't know if that has to do with a lot of the delays. I've heard of a lot of shops that haven't gotten their, their product. Um, the other part of it is DC. Again, if you want to listen to uh, our thoughts on DC, listen to our DC Spotlight that came out yesterday. But the thing is, for DC, it was a fifth Tuesday. And usually when it's a fifth week in a month, a publisher, at least among the big two, will use that to put out any books that have been late in the schedule or specials or, or annuals because most of the rest are on that, you know, four week schedule every four weeks, it, it drops regular series. Um, so it's kind of interesting in a way with the holiday and with the uh, first Wednesday uh, falling on the, the first of June, it's almost like everybody else said, okay, it's kind of a fifth week for us too. I say all that to say it is a very, very light week. I mean, Jay and I were talking about it uh, before we started recording. So last week, there was upwards of 105 titles released, generally speaking. This week, there's 30. (laughs) 30. So, uh, you know, it it all works out in the end. We talked about 18 books last week. It was a massive uh, New Comic Book Day episode. This one, we're going to be talking about 10. So uh, we'll cover the books that we've had a chance to read and then we'll give a rundown on some other books you might want to be on lookout for. So uh, 
not even going to save the best for last. We're going to start off with it. It's Jay's book of the week. Absolutely brutal issue of Righteous Thirst for Vengeance. Uh, you know, continues to be written by Rick Remender. Amazing art by Andre Lima Arajo, uh, who also, you know, co-plotter. And, and I mean that so much uh, because so much of the storytelling in this series, as it has been from the beginning, is laid at the feet of Andre because there's so little dialogue in this series. Uh, the first couple issues, I think maybe a couple words of dialogue. And even this one, uh, there's a there's a brutal sort of a battle, very visceral battle type scene. Um, and there, there's not really any words. They're not necessary. Andre does an incredible job storytelling. So uh, give us your thoughts on the issue, Jay. First off, I was looking forward to this because uh, no spoilers, but the last issue, we knew that this uh, person that Sonny was personating was, you know, getting a little payback from for Sonny. We know that what he did to Xavier, I won't say if you haven't read it, but it's just horrendous what you do to this poor little kid. But uh, so this is uh, no spoiler, but it says Sonny finally meets the guy that uh, he's been impersonating. And this guy is like evil. I mean, he's just sadistic and he's a sadist because we see uh, from last issue a bunch of things that were being tortured to these uh, people in this this uh, house. And this one, we see what, how he did it to these people because he does it to poor Sonny. And just that whole uh, fight or flight thing kicked in for Sonny. He had a little bit of help, but it's just he's not trained. He's not a specialist or anything whatsoever. But you got to do what you got to survive. And it, like you said, it was just brutal. And the, the things he goes through just to survive in this is just amazing. The Justice Earth is the very end when he gets when it happens at the end. It's just amazing. And I just want to know what happens next because we know there's issues with that little boy going on. So. My book of the week, just because of that alone, I, it was building up to this, and I finally got what I wanted. I want more. Yeah, I'll say this about Righteous Thirst for Vengeance, right? If the whole idea of art, and I'm sorry if you don't think that comic books are, are art, then I, I don't know what to tell you. I vehement, vehemently disagree with that. Um, you know, sequential storytelling, telling stories through uh, visual pictures and illustrations, it very much is an art form. And this is the highest form of art when you talk about a series like Righteous Thirst Reventions, because there's the whole idea of art, whether we're talking about comic books or, you know, painting or sculpture or music or, or whatever it is. I'm a big believer that one of the, the big purposes why art exists, you know, the, the whole act of, of creating art is to evoke emotion in other people, evoke an emotional response. This book from the beginning has evoked and a, a very strong emotional response, whether it was curiosity uh, about what's going on uh, or, or kind of a compelling narrative to uh, this particular issue, which it evokes this mo uh, emotion of being uncomfortable. Like the, the scenes are so just brutal and visceral that, you, you know, you're like squirming in your chair watching it, but you can't look away. Uh, and so, again, that that is what art is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you think, it's supposed to elicit a reaction. This issue certainly does that. So great pick for book of the week. Really, really fantastic uh, issue. Uh, all right. My first book I'm going to talk about is from Marvel. Uh, we are up to issue number 12 for Alien. The end of the second arc here written by Philip Kennedy Johnson. Salvador LaRocca is the artist. Guru EFX does the colors. Clayton Cowell on letters. Um, we get the resolution of this arc, which is really interesting there's uh, some things that go down with Jane, who's kind of the leader of this, this colony, 
of spinners, which is sort of this um, religious sect, if you will, who made a deal with the, the, the Wu-Tan Corporation or whatever it's called um, about getting this planet and terraforming it. And, and, you know, if they were successful, they were going to be able to uh, let's say Wu-Tan, Wayland yutani is what it's called. <laughs> it's not the Wu-Tang clan, it's the Wayland uh, yutani But anyway, they made a deal with, uh, with the corporation and said, hey, you know, we'll go and terraform this. And if we're successful, you know, we'll, after so many generations, it will be given to them. And then, of course, the corporation double crosses them. Xenomorphs come and land. And uh, the leader, Jane, shows some real heroism and real tenacity. Uh, for you know with her leadership for getting her people out um it doesn't (laughs) this isn't a situation you know in in very typical alien fashion you know it's not necessarily a happy ending there might be survivors but ultimately you know 90 percent of the people on that planet died and you know the xenomorphs uh, which is you know nature's perfect killer or whatever and i know there's talk about they were genetically engineered and we can go back and talk about prometheus and all that sort of stuff um to why they are so lethal or what have you. But uh, the most compelling aspect here is, is so when this second arc started, it felt so disconnected from the first arc and just thought, okay, well, Kenny Johnson's just going to kind of jump around and introduce sort of new, new seeds, new branches, new ideas into the alien universe while not contradicting anything that came in the movies, which I th- thought was fascinating. I have, I'd never read any like the dark horse alien stuff. So I don't know how that stuff fits in, if it's still canon or not. I can't speak to that. But all I know is everything that Kennedy Johnson has done so far very much ties in and calls back to the, the movies and fits into that, uh, that universe very, very well. And, and he's building upon it and introducing new ideas that can be built upon. And m- maybe even some of these ideas will show up in future alien movies. I hope so, because some of these ideas are really great. Um, but I say all that to say that at the end of this arc, there's a little bit of a callback to the first arc and you realize, Hey, they're more connected than maybe you thought. And so it seems like, and this is um, very much a strength of Philip Kennedy Johnson. He's very good at building worlds, at building universes. And you find out that, you know, what you were reading, you didn't even realize it, but it ties into this thing over here that he created. And then it ties into this thing. So I think he might have a long-term plan. I hope he's on the book for a really long time. And, and the ideas that he has, to build something really intricate or come to fruition if he's allowed to just, you know, do what he wants to do. Um, and maybe I'm even a little bit impatient. Like I almost want to say, Hey, can this book come out a little faster? Can we go by? We, I don't want that. I say that, but I don't want that because I, I love the Salvador La Roca art as well. And there's no way he can do two books a month. Um, but yeah, this is fantastic. Love the fact that it called back to the first arc I love what Philip Kennedy Johnson is doing. I say it a lot when we talk about aliens, just he, he, it's so clear that he loves the world of aliens. Like he loves the, uh, he must love the movies. He must love the characters. He must love the ideas that are presented because he builds on them. Uh, and he's clearly having fun doing it. So uh, fantastic book, fantastic series. Uh, all right, let's move on to next book for Jay. It's strange. We're up to issue number three. Uh, written by Jed McKay, Marcelo Ferreira is the penciler, Roberto Poggi and Don Ho are the inkers, Java Tartagilla handles the colors, and Corey Petit on letters. Uh, what would you think of this one? Awesome, because like from the last issue, we knew that there was a lot going on. Um, there was uh, a new 
what's it called a blasphemy cartel i guess or going around uh, killing uh people with magic uh she's also got a new i guess villain the harvest man that's stopping her from trying to bring strange back and this one you know she's already kind of pedoed so now we're gonna see the dark side of you know who her character is and i was not disappointed because <laughs> she's very uh evil and not evil i'm not saying in a bad way but the way she can manipulate some of these people that are you think are like tough bad people but she's trying to get your way and says you know i want this and this so like eh, okay they really can't argue with her they the bad guys think they got the upper hand on her but they realize oh we don't because she's not from this dimension you know she's from two places <laughs> and it's just uh it's fun. It's, it's it's I just like the the character a lot. Um, they're not just doing a click and paste. You know, it's like okay, now it's just instead of a, a male uh, strange, we're gonna have a female strange. No, she's her own character. I like that. She's got her own backstory, her own everything. So I I, I like that a lot. Uh, I yeah, guess we'll have a yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say she's not just a sorcerer supreme of Earth. She's a sorcerer supreme of you know her her dimension. You know as well. So. That, that makes a big difference, uh, and, and it, I think it causes people to underestimate her, you know? Oh, definitely. And uh, I guess we'll get, like, uh, the bad guys in this group, the, the cartel are trying to, you know, have a plan to try to go after her. And I guess we'll have another uh, guest appearance in the next issue because they kind of mentioned that, uh, you know, who's coming for dinner. But it's going to be fun. I think it should be interesting to have both these characters when someone's trying to crash the party. It's like, it's not going to be good, I don't think. <laughs> Yeah, I thought the art was fantastic as well. Um, oh, the, the covers are beautiful. I love the covers. Yeah, the covers are great. I love the way that Marcelo Ferreira draws the rose. I think he looks very formidable. But all that being said, there was one panel where the the I felt like the proportions were really off. And being that the art was so spectacular and all the rest of the issue, it, it was so jarring. But that um, that scene where she's in the van looking at what's in there, her shoulders oh. are gigantic. Like her shoulders are bigger than her head, but then her chest looks all weird and out of proportion. Like it just, I couldn't stop staring at that page. It just, it looked, it's a weird angle. Um, but for the most part, the art is, is fantastic. And I'm nitpicking on that one page. Um, and I'm willing to forgive it. Cause again, I thought the rose was fantastic, but really the strength of the series is like, is like you said, it's how badass Clea is. Um, and we've talked about it every time, every issue. We're like, man, Clea, does, she doesn't take any crap from anybody. And that's just what's so fun about it. Like, she's just, she's just awesome. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you don't really think of her, like you said, as, as evil because, you know, she's, she's not human. She's a fall teen, you know, she's, they have different values. So, you know, she doesn't take any crap from anybody and, and that's great. Uh, all right. I have another Marvel book up next as well. It's Miles Morales, number 38. Written from Saladin, uh, written by Saladin Ahmed, Christopher Allen, and Alberto Fochi are the pencilers. Warren Jr. and Jose Marzan Jr., along with Alberto Fochi, handled the inks. Brian Raber on colors, Corey Petit on letters. Uh, so last issue, we saw that uh, Miles, you know, he's been jumping around to different uh, dimensions in the Marvel multiverse because he thinks that his uncle Aaron may be alive. In, in one of them and he's trying to, to find him um, and him and uh, shift have been jumping around to different dimensions. And they jumped into part of the multiverse where his clone Selim, which is miles spelled backwards is the emperor. <laughs> he's the emperor of the, the spider 
basically he's sealed Brooklyn off from the rest of the world and has dominion over it. Um, and so this issue is all about kind of meeting up with the resistance and trying to figure out a way to take Selim out. Obviously, um, it's a bit tricky because Miles looks exactly like, you know, the emperor of, of the dimension, but, you know, he's not him and people have questions and it's like, how much do you tell them? You don't want to, you know, mess up timelines, mess up dimensions, what have you. And then at the end, we get the surprise appearance by somebody who's pretty much the last person you expect to see. And you wonder what the hell exactly is going on. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting, you know, Saladin Ahmed for the past, I don't know, handful of issues, maybe, maybe going as far as like 10 issues back, eight, 10 issues, something like that. He's really like ever since the clone saga, which, you know, I know that in Spider-Man uh, circles that has a, a bad a negative connotation, but ever since then, he's really gone sort of bigger with the stories that he's telling before that I felt like his stories are really grounded more about miles in, in school and dealing with, you know, street level characters and villains and whatnot. And, and he's really kind of ramping it up these bigger in uh, stories in terms of scope. And I'm not sure if it works for me for miles as, as a character, I don't know if this is the best way to, to explore miles because what happens is they, they feel a little bit more plot driven rather than character driven, as opposed to the, you know, the first 20, 25 issues that felt very character focused, very character driven. And I love that because I love miles as a character. So I don't know, maybe he's trying to separate Miles, uh, make him a little more distinct from, from Peter, uh, because obviously classic Spider-Man stories are very much character driven with, you know, Peter at the center of them. So, you know, it's not that this, it's a bad comic. It just, it doesn't excite me the way maybe the first 20, 25 issues of the series uh, did, but uh, it is in interesting and intriguing. And, uh, you know, I guess it's maybe something Miles needs to go through as he, uh, becomes, uh, you know, a more mature character and needs to, to kind of face some, some bigger threats. So I guess we'll, I guess we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, all right. Up next for Jay, an image comic, one that uh, I finally caught up and read. Uh, he's been enjoying it since issue one. It's little monsters. We're up to issue number four written by Jeff Lemire. Dustin Wynn handles the art Steve Wands on letters. Uh, yeah, this was a pretty interesting issue. What'd you think? It's good. I like the way the uh, storytellers, like the uh, Lemire, is like the first couple of issues or the first few like uh, pages. They give a backstory to some of the kids, so you see what year it is and when they turned, which I like because it's like man, they're just different years, from like eighteen hundreds, like nineteen thirty three. So it's really cool, and you see how these kids were in situations where they had to like no other choice but you know to go and become a vampire. So, so far in this story, we have two groups of kids. Of, uh, they were all together at one time, but it seems like they divided the group between the group that wants to hunt humans to get the blood and another group that is trying to help a little girl whose father that they're devouring because that's no spoiler. They've been doing it in the last issue and they want more blood because they, they feel the, the strength from the blood. But like I said, the other group doesn't want to hurt them. They just want to you know get this little girl back to her family. So Battle Lines, that seems like they're being drawn, and it's just a great story. And I'm looking forward to see where it goes, you know, in the next issue. Yeah, here's the thing, and we've talked about it before with um, 
with uh, Lemire and, and Wynn, how a lot of times their protagonists are, are kids and how it's interesting that they, they choose to do that because it, it adds an interesting perspective. Here, we're getting a story through the eyes of kids, and in a lot of ways, they're immature, but yet they're, you know, decades and decades old. They're much older than they look. And, you know, this idea of them preying on uh, adults, you know, feeding on them because, you know, they're little monsters, they are vampires, um, and what they know and don't know what they've been told by, you know, the adult vampires who supposedly have disappeared. And we don't know, you know, the mystery of that. There's a lot of interesting kind of analogs uh, about, you know, coming of age. So yeah, fantastic, fantastic book. Uh, okay. My next book is Avengers Forever. We're up to issue number six, uh, Enter the Vibranium Man. Uh, this is written by Jason Aaron. Uh, and we have art by Jim Toe, colors by Guru EFX, letters by Corey Petit. Um, yeah, this is focused on a version of the Black Panther, a version of T'Challa. We're basically told that, uh, in this multiversal masters of evil, I guess Killmonger is going to join at some point, or maybe he's just another threat, uh, similar to the multiversal masters of evil. He's wearing a version of the destroyer armor and still has that you know, really powerful beam that fires out of its face. And uh, he's not only has he killed T'Challa's parents in his own reality, uh, he's gone into other realities and killed them and, and he's killed, you know, any Black Panther he can find basically. And so in this particular issue, we find out that it kind of like a Superman analog, uh, T'Challa's parents, uh, they basically send him away. So Killmonger... Uh, can't find him. Uh, and it's all about his, you know, growing up in isolation and, and training himself to finally uh, take on Killmonger. And it doesn't necessarily go the way you would expect. Um, and it was pretty interesting. Uh, I'm not the biggest Black Panther fan, but I, I did enjoy this issue. That being said, man, this Avengers Forever series, it really jumps all over the freaking place, man. There's not like you could read this as like a one shot and you don't even need to know anything that happened before. Um, I imagine it's going to all tie together eventually, but again, I, I, I question the, the choice of calling this Avengers forever. We already have an Avengers forever. This is nothing like it. This isn't a time travel story. It would have been better calling it like Avengers multiverse or something like that. Um, but it also feels like a very big story in scope, but it's kind of choppy because it doesn't necessarily feel like one issue leads into the next issue. So I don't know, maybe Jason Aaron will tie it all up in the end. I mean, he is a, a very good writer, so I don't necessarily doubt him, but I don't know. I know it's not working for everybody. I've heard some some people that have been like, man, I just, I can't, it doesn't have any forward momentum because each issue feels so separate, which hasn't necessarily been the case every time. We've had some, you know, issues that felt very much tied into the previous issue. We've had some cliffhangers or whatnot, but the last couple really jumped around and we know the next issue is focuses on Steve Rogers, this, this prison of Steve Rogers. All these different versions of Steve Rogers are, are trapped in a prison. Most of them having never heard of the super soldier serum. So it's like, what? doesn't have anything to do with like this one ends on a, a note where you're like, oh, I can't wait to see what's going to happen with this character. And then no, forget about it. We're moving on to Steve Rogers. Like what? You didn't finish this story. Anyway, um, <laughs> it could all, it could all work out. It could all tie up. I don't, I don't know how it can. I mean, he really needs to start, tying things together if he's going to um so anyway the good thing is he does have the regular avengers title too which has been 
which he has been using to kind of supplement, but you need to kind of be reading both. Um, and even then you feel like sometimes, man, what's going on? So it can, it can be a little confusing. So, uh, anyway, up next we have the closet. This is a new horror title from writer James Tynan. The art is by Gavin Fullerton colors are by Chris O'Halloran and letters are by Tom Napolitano. Uh, what'd you think Jay? It's uh, interesting. Well, the reason I picked that personally was because he was writing it. I was like, you know what? He's a good writer. We'll see how this goes. But uh, it doesn't start off with anything exciting. It just pretty much starts to show the story of a couple that are getting ready to move. You know, typical when you move, you get a lot of stress going on, especially when you're married. Uh, they have a, a son, uh, Jamie. I guess we're going to be around. It's going to be, the, I guess, the focal point of the story. Um, he's scared of his closet because he thinks there's a creature in there. And the father is just like, hey, don't worry about it. You know, we're moving, you know. But when you read the story and you get to like the, the back end of the story, because he's just building up the characters. But it's not the way you think it's going to happen. You're like, OK, it's getting really creepy, really dark, really fast. So I guess the next issue, we'll see what happens after the move. But uh, I'm really intrigued by it. And I just want to see where they, where they go with this. But uh, I like it because the closet, every kid out there, even me, I remember being afraid of my closet because, you know, of it kind of open up by itself at night. I'm like, oh crap, what's in there? You know, you kind of hover yourself in the, in the bed. You're like, oh my God, you know? So it's kind of, it's, it's cool because it has that, uh, that fear of what I think a lot of people grew up had. So that's why I like the title. It's horror. It's James Tynan. I mean, it just works. Uh, not at very fast paced versus issue two. Like if just, he, he, basically, he's basically just setting up the premise. He set the hook you know, bad things are coming. So in a way that tension can, can play really well. We'll have to see how it all plays out in the end. Uh, okay. Up next, I have uh, captain Marvel. This is issue number 38 trials. Part one totally focuses on binary. We know Carol Danvers went missing. We sort of see where she went, but then in a way the rug gets pulled out from under us and maybe where she went, went isn't what it seems to be for her or us, but love that binary and Kelly Thompson does a fantastic job of, of playing with binary as this new character. Who's a bit naive, obviously, but very, very powerful. Jessica drew Spider-Woman sort of playing chaperone or mentor for her. So that works really, really well. Um, the art by Juan Figuera and Alvaro Lopez is fantastic. Jordi Belair, one of the best colors in the uh, business working on the colors. Clayton Cal does the letters. Um, so it's a very, you know, tight looking book as usual. And it's just a whole lot of fun. Like we get a lot of action scenes with binary. She's all over the place, saving cats and defeating supervillains and, and doing all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and that central question of who is binary really? I mean, she looks like binary. She looks like Carol Danvers when Carol Danvers was binary. Um, could she be more of Carol Danvers than we thought? Who is this Carol Danvers that disappeared and went somewhere else? Where exactly did she go? How, how did she get there? Like there's a lot of questions to be answered and we get uh, three characters to show up in the end that are familiar characters to Marvel fans, especially uh, even MCU fans. Um, but you know, it says next issue, what the hell is going on? Because that's the question that Carol wants to know. Seriously, what the hell's going on here? So yeah, what the hell's going on? We don't know, but uh, trials part one, could this be some sort of story arc where, well, Carol has manifested this other energy being binary, and maybe it's like, well, maybe this new character, binary, deserves a chance to be sentient, but maybe her and Carol can't coexist. 
because they're parts of the, you know, two parts of the whole. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But Kelly Thompson has me hooked, and I love the humor that she always uh, interjects into her uh, story. So fantastic issue. Uh, okay, last book for Jay is Ghost Rider, issue number three, written by Benjamin Percy. Corey Smith and Brent Peoples are the artists. Roberto Poggi and Brent Peoples handle the inks. Brian Valenza on colors and Travis Lanham on letters. What do you think? It's good. I know what we were talking about before. It's like uh, Ghost Rider, I guess, is going to go the horror route. And I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of excited about that. But you're more of an old school Ghost Rider. You're like, no, no, go back to the old school way. But it's something different. So, I mean, we've had him in a, in a car. So, I mean, why not have this, I guess. But it's fun. He's hitchhiking and that leads to another adventure for the Ghost Rider to take on. We get a little bit more of the backstory of the uh, FBI uh, agent uh, War Road, I guess, that are you know, hunting down uh, Johnny Blaze. But it's good. I just like the transformation, how they show how he becomes from a, a, a ghost rider out of the, the, the uh, from Johnny Blaze. That's kind of neat, but it's very bloody. Um, I, I guess that's got a horror aspect to it. And it's kind of creepy, but I kind of like that. But like I said, I know it's not for everybody, but for me, it, it's, uh, it's enjoyable and it's fun. Yeah, um, I, you know, Ghost Rider definitely has his roots in, in horror, but it sort of shifted to feeling more superheroic pretty early on. And then at different times, they've tried to, to play up the horror aspect, especially in the, the 90s version with Danny Ketch and the Midnight Suns sort of thing. Um, but I always prefer the superhero, more super, super heroic Ghost Rider stories. That being said, I'm intrigued because the supernatural corner of the Marvel Universe is it's so much less explored than, you know, the superhero side of things. So I am curious to see where it's going to go. And the art's really fantastic. So, uh, okay. Last book I'm going to talk about is clear. Number six, this is from writer, uh, Scott Snyder with fantastic art and, uh, co-plotting from Francis Manipal. Uh, this is comiXology original. So it's only available digitally right now. It will be available in print eventually. Uh, in fact, his previous series that that uh, the first arc has finished up, We Have Demons, that Snyder is doing with uh, Greg Capullo has its final print issue of the first arc, number three, come out today as well. So um, this will be in print eventually, and I, I can't recommend it enough. Um, it, it's been a really wild ride, and there's been a lot of twists and turns, and this final chapter is no, is no exception. In fact, might have the biggest twist yet, uh, and it ends in a very appropriate way, you know, all along, we've covered these on the YouTube channel and, and talked about them in depth. Um, and all along, one of the things that I love most about the series that we've talked so much about is this idea of technology, which when you think about it, technology and the advancement of technology has made the world a smaller place and brought us all closer together, you know, not necessarily in a, in a kumbaya way, because we know how divisive the world is. But if I want to talk to somebody halfway around the world right now, I can do that. I can do that real easily on a Zoom or a Skype or a phone call or whatever. So it's really shrunk the world and, and you know, brought us closer in the uh, ability to communicate. Um, but in a way, it can isolate as well. And that's really what this story is about with this whole idea of, of you can skin the world and make it look like whatever you want it to look like. Um, and so, you know, Jay and I could be looking at the exact same building or the exact same tree or the exact same piece of land or whatever and see two totally different things. And so it's, it's kind of antithetical of bringing people together. It's, it's 
taking people and, and sort of separating them even further. Even if you're standing right next to somebody, you're not sharing the same experience because you're seeing the world in different ways. So it's that ambiguity, this idea of technology that can bring us together is actually swung so far over that it's pushing people apart. And the, the way the story plays out, the way it ends, it's still ambiguous. It's still up to the people. It, it, it's up to us humans as a society to make the choice to, to connect, right? Um, and so there are no easy answers. It doesn't get tied up with a nice, neat bow, but that's what makes it so interesting and so compelling. So I can't recommend it enough. I love Clear. It's one of the best things that Scott Snyder's ever done, not just recently, but ever, I think, in my mind. And the Francis Manipole art is, uh, is absolutely fantastic. So again, can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, all right. That being said, there are uh, some other books that are coming out today that you might want to be on the lookout for. So let me go ahead and give uh, a rundown of some of the other titles. Again, there were some books that are supposed to be coming out that maybe didn't. Some Like we talked about Step by Bloody Step last week. It actually got delayed. It's actually coming out this week. Uh, there were some books from Aftershock that were supposed to be out this week that got pushed next week. So again, take everything with a grain of salt that we're saying here. Maybe it's going to be at your shop. Maybe not. Not really sure. But no Aftershock books this week as far as I know. But there is a new um, AWA book called New Think, number one of five. It's a Black Mirror style anthology is how they describe it. So think about, you know, Ice Cream Man type of story. So if you're a fan of kind of the um, aesthetic or, or tone or feel of uh, AWA books, you might want to give that a try. Uh, over at Boom, Once and Future, it's up to number 26. Karen Gellin's book with art by Dan Mora continues to be a really hot book, selling really, really well. I mentioned already Dark Horse. We have Demons, number three of three is out. Action Comics, again, you can listen to the uh, in-depth reviews of these books on our episode from Tuesday. Action Comics 2022 Annual Number 1. We have Batman 2022 Annual Number 1 as well. That leads into a new uh, Batman Incorporated series that's coming later this year from writer Ed Brisson with art by John Timms. We also have the final issue of Hardware Season 1. Number 6 of 6 is out. Uh, Justice League Road to Dark Crisis Number 1. If you're curious, if you have to read that book, to understand uh, the upcoming Dark Crisis series, you don't. Um, it, I really felt like those stories had more to do with the fallout of the death of the Justice League and kind of looked, ba- they're looking back more than they're looking forward to Dark Crisis, but there are like four stories and they're they're pretty in- interesting. Um, and it's certainly good to see the reaction of the other heroes once they realize the Justice League is dead. So that sounds up your alley, check it out. But you definitely, if you're wondering, man, do I have to read that to read Dark Crisis? I think you can skip it. Uh, if that's the only reason you have to, uh, for picking it up. Uh, also, Nice House on the Lake, number 9 of 12 from James Tynan is really fantastic. We get the final chapter of Shadow War with Shadow War Omega, number 1, that wraps up the war between uh, Talia and Deathstroke. Uh, and, you know, uh, I won't spoil it here, but we did talk about who the, the fake Deathstroke or the Deathstroke impersonator was. It's who we thought it was if you <laughs> listen to our DC uh, episodes, you'll know who we, we uh, theorized that it was. Uh, okay, over at Image, in addition to the books we talked about, Firepower by Kirkman and Somney, number 21 is out. Scorched, number six from Todd McFarlane. Uh, Walking Dead Deluxe is up to issue number 40. And then What's the Furthest Place from Here, written by Matthew Rosenberg, Tyler Boss on Art, is up to issue number six as well. Uh, over at Marvel, we have Carnage, number three, written by Rom V. King Conan, number five of six. Knights of X, number two, 
just sort of the Excalibur version of X-Men that's going on right now. Star Wars Bounty Hunters is up to number 23, as is Star Wars Darth Vader. Uh, and then there's that uh, X-Men 92, House of 92, number two of five. And there's also a second printing of the, uh, the first issue. So that's out this week as well. And uh, I think that's it. Anything else you want to shout out, Jay? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. I'm just, thank goodness for my wallet. It's only 30, 30 books this week. <laughs> yeah, again, kind of a smaller week, which, uh, yeah, it's good. It gets us out of here a little bit earlier. And, uh, yeah, it gives us a, a chance to uh, get ready for next week. <laughs> I think next week, based on this, is going to be a big one. So, uh, once again, Jay's book of the week, Righteous Search for Vengeance, number one. It was really, really good. Um, if I had to pick a book of the week... Oh man, it's, it's pretty tough, but, um, well, actually it's, it's not that tough. It's clear number six, but I know that's not a print book. So some people might push back on that, but that was by far the best thing that I, I read this week. Um, if I had to pick a, a print book, I, I would go with that nice house on the lake. Uh, even though it's not one of the ones that we talked about on this issue or this episode, it's was my favorite print comic this week. So uh, anyway, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. We appreciate you joining us as always, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.